in my opinion, investing should be very, it should be very intentional. It's not, you know, most people invest based on FOMO or fear or greed, right? It's emotional. But I found that the, the higher the emotion, the lower the intelligence when it comes to investing. Again, the higher the emotion, the lower the intelligence. And so my goal is to actually take out the, take the emotion out of the investing equation and really do it based on purpose and intention and making money matter. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with David Olred. David first started investing 15 years ago and since then has scaled his business into a really impressive portfolio of multifamily and commercial real estate across the United States. He has extensive experience, which includes investing in single family houses, multifamily, joint ventures, hard money lending, equity and debt sourcing, self-storage, senior housing, flipping land acquisitions and entitlement, distressed acquisitions and syndications. He's got a ton of experience. He's now actually launched a new fund under his partnership called Axia Partners. And it's a fund focused on creating wealth through recession resilient passive income. And his passion really lies in helping inspire others to gain financial freedom through lifestyle investing, being a professional adventurer and living life all in. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible experience and wealth of knowledge with us. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, David. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing great, Reed. So happy to be on here, man. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, mate, my pleasure. We're having a great little chat in the green room about all the, the small circles of the, the syndication world here in the United States. So, um, so, so great to have you with us, mate. Um, before we dive into today's show, can you, the first question I ask all my guests is, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? You bet. So, I mean, when I was a young child, I started off with a, a newspaper route, right? When I was, I don't think, 14 years old, 
Um, you know, after that, I, I got a job with the, with the city, you know, mowing the, 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 the grass for, I, it was $4 an hour back then. Um, but my first real job was when I graduated college, I was given an opportunity to go out and actually knock doors, going you know, door-to-door sales to sell home security systems. And uh, it was going to be just a four-month career in Chicago, and it ended up turning into a 17-year-long career. And, uh, you know, growing up, we lived in a very low-income, I'd say a very low-income, blue-collar home. And we never really had a lot in terms of quality of life or discretionary spending. Um, you know, I, I knew that uh, when I grew up, I wanted more for my family. I wanted to create like, a great quality of life for my kids. And, and uh, so, I, you know, luckily I had some, some clarity or some vision there in terms of what I really did want later on in my life. And so when I was going to college, you know, they had a uh, recruiting booth set up there to recruit college students to go out and knock doors. And obviously knocking doors isn't like a fun job. It's not prestigious. It's not something that was like, Hey, I really want to go and do that. But the earning opportunity was substantial. And so I jumped on the opportunity, went out to Chicago. And uh, honestly, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my, in my life. Um, you know, I had a lot of failure in the first, uh, first month, uh, month two was really, really hard. Luckily around mid summer midpoint, it started to pick up a little bit for me and I was able to, you know, make, in that four month period. And for me at that point in my life, that was amazing, right? That was an incredible amount of money. And um, yeah, so then I was offered an opportunity to come back as a sales manager the next year and then became a regional manager and uh, for a few years and then a regional vice president of sales for the company. Uh, That company, uh, Vivint Smart Home, ended up going public for a multiple billion dollar valuation. Uh, I was able to then switch over to sister company, Vivint Solar and worked out uh, with that company for three years as well. They exited for a multi-billion valuation as well. Um, but all along the way, I was investing in real estate, you know, as a side hustle. And, you know, I never really knew a lot about how to invest. I just, once I started to have some, some capital, I was like, okay, I got to figure out what to do with this and, you know, how to be tax advantageous. I remember asking my CPA, I said, hey, you know, what are your wealthy clients doing with their, you know, to create wealth? And he said, Every one of his wealthy clients were either owning their own businesses or investing in real estate or both. And it really clicked. And so I committed to learning how to do real estate and started reading books and podcasts and just trying to figure it out, but uh, dove into it. So it was always a side hustle until about four or five years ago. And I retired and, and uh, committed to you know full-time real estate as a full-time real estate developer and operator. That's awesome, mate. And, and something going from a door-to-door salesman to have a 17-year career with Vivian. Is that how I pronounced that correctly? Yeah, Vivian. Vivian Stoller. Vivian. Vivian Stoller. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's incredible. And then making the transition into real estate. I want to you know, give you kudos for the fact that you stayed with the company for 17 years because most people don't, right? They, they, they want a pay increase. They, they, they shift across to another company, but, but well done to you. But what was the the first purchase you made in that mindset of like, I need to do more with my life than just be this door-to-door salesman and work up the corporate ladder. So really it was, well, it was really, you know, we'll talk more about this on the podcast, but it was getting really, really clear on what I really wanted at the end of the day for my family and the quality of life that I wanted and really curating that experience. And you'll hear me talk a lot about reverse engineering you know, and so it's like reverse engineering. What do you really want at the end of the day? How do you measure success? You know, what really makes you happy? What gives you the feeling of a life of significance? And so, 
you know, if there's one thing I think I, I was able to do well early on was to get clarity in my life on what I really wanted. And, and secondly, it was to, to learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, that's, it's actually a skill set to be able to be, you know, to embrace being uncomfortable because sometimes that's where the real opportunity is. You know, sometimes in real estate, the best yield or the best margin is actually in a deal where there's a little bit of hair on it, right? There's a little bit of, there's some extra work that has to be done on the deal. And so, you know, I just realized that. And, uh, but, but I will say this as well, you know, I'm really, you know, proud and happy of the success we've been able to accomplish for my family my friends, my partners, but it didn't start off that easy. You know, we, uh, my, I remember my first real estate deal, I read the book, um, how to invest in investment properties for dummies. You know, those black and yellow books. Yes. And uh, so I literally read this book and I'm like, okay, all right, I'm ready to go. And so I, I Googled, you know, for a real estate agent, to find one, found this lady. She found me a fourplex up in Salt Lake city. And uh, I was really excited about it. Closed on it at the closing table. You know, I signed my name on the, on, on, on the purchase, uh, you know, on the contract, the mortgage. And then we stand up and she reaches over and she, she sticks her hand out. She says, Hey Dave, I just want to say, thank you for my first real estate closing. <laughs> I was like, hold on a minute. How did that not come up until now? You know, this is your first time as an agent and representing a buyer. And so anyway, long story short, uh, about six months later on that fourplex, uh, the, the two mother-in-law apartments, uh, they got in a fight and they called the city. And so the city sent me a letter explaining that it's actually not a fourplex. It's a duplex with two mother-in-law apartments. And that's an illegally rented unit. And so I had to actually evict two of my tenants. So I went from four streams of income down to two streams of income. And, uh, and then, and, you know, 08, 09 hit and I lost 60 grand on the exit. And honestly, I learned every lesson I could possibly learn about how not to do a real estate deal. But, uh, you know, grateful for the opportunity to, to learn that earlier on in my career. And I mentioned early on in the introduction that you've got a lot of experience across many different asset classes. How has that come about? Because so many people get into real estate and they focus on one thing and they slowly move up and they may do two or three other things, you know, they might buy a fourplex and then slowly move up into large commercial multifamily, but you've been involved in senior housing, in self storage, in you know, flipping. So was that by design or was that just more, you wanted to get as much experience as possible? Great question. So I'd say two things. One is, mainly it was that I want to learn, I kind of want to learn everything. You know what? I, I definitely have what I call a, a growth mindset and I, I love learning more about opportunities and people. And I, and I found that as I go into different areas, you know, venture capital or seed capital or jumping into self storage units or, you know, investing in other people's funds. I, I not only learn a lot, but I also meet some really fascinating people. And I'm a, I'm a relationship guy. I got, I love relationships. People fascinate me. And I love to see how they operate and why they oper operate the way they do. And so, you know, I don't want to try to master every different investment uh, vehicle or, you know, different sectors, but I do want to know enough to be dangerous. And I feel like when you, you have some experience in basically every different asset type, it really helps you to have a more of a, kind of a, a comprehensive holistic approach to your due diligence and timing your asset acquisitions and dispositions, as well as your approach and your value add and how you hold on to these assets and a better understanding for overall risk mitigation. You know, I, I uh, this, well, a few things on that. Um, I keep a spreadsheet and I'll share this. It's very personal, but I'll share it um, in case it creates value for your listeners. 
I keep a spreadsheet of every single investment I've ever done in my entire life. And uh, it's a simple spreadsheet. It lists the investment, how much I invested, the overall return on investment, and then I rank it one through 10, you know, 10 being the best. And it's categorized by asset type. And so I can see easily that, you know, hard money lending um, is done the very best. I've never lost and I make a great return on investment. Number two has been my residential real estate. Number three is commercial real estate, et cetera, et cetera. But most importantly, on the far right-hand column, it says lessons learned. And I have every single investment I write down what I did really well or what I could have done better. And fast forward after, you know, say 200 different investments, you really learn about yourself, what your investor DNA is. You know, what are you good at? Um, Where are your competitive advantages? And so I challenge everybody listening to this podcast to, you know, start writing down your takeaways or your lessons learned from your investments. Because in my opinion, investing should be very, it should be very intentional. It's not, you know, most people invest based on FOMO or fear or greed, right? It's emotional. But I found that the, the higher the emotion, the lower the intelligence when it comes to investing. Again, the higher the emotion, the lower the intelligence. And so my goal is to actually take out the, take the emotion out of the investing equation and really do it based on purpose and intention and making money matter. Okay. So that was the, that's the first thing. And then the second thing I'd share, well, actually going back to number one, I also am very clear on my asset allocations. So whatever your net worth is, whether it's a thousand dollars or a hundred million dollars, the way I approach that is I have 1% of my net worth in cash, 1% in precious metals, 3% in blockchain, cryptocurrencies, 5% in hard money, 5% bonds, uh, 10% in the stock market, uh, 15% in private equity, 25% in residential real estate, and 33% in commercial real estate. And it's not perfectly, you know, exact, but to me, that gives I want to, I want to see that exact spreadsheet to see those exact numbers. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm happy to share it. I'll shoot no. it to you. Keep, um, yeah, keep going. But, but to me, that's an all weather portfolio that I know that, Hey, that everything's cyclical. Right. And so I sleep well knowing that, Hey, you know, housing market might have a correction. The stock market might, you know, cryptocurrency might go down to zero. Who knows? Nobody really knows for sure, but it's a all weather diversified portfolio approach. And then the second thing I was just going to say, read is to answer your question is, you know, like, you know, and the question was, why do I invest in so many different asset types? Ultimately, what I've learned about myself is I'm a cash flow investor and I really don't invest for equity appreciation anymore or even net worth. Um, Frankly, I care about what my cash flow is so much more than what my net worth or, you know, my, my, my equity is in a deal. Cash flow is everything to me. I love to fill a mailbox money. And I'd say ultimately, really what I do is like, I like to say I'm a lifestyle investor. And so I know the lifestyle that I want for my family, those that I care about. And so it's curating your investment strategy around the lifestyle that you really want. That makes oh, sense. I, yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And I love the fact that you'd broken it down into so much detail in terms of precious metals, in terms of cash, in terms of resi real estate, in terms of hard money lending, in terms of cryptocurrency, which is super interesting. Um, really giving the listeners an incredible display of what the the portfolio for your personal wealth looks like. And and I think what I'm also hearing is that, and I, I know I, I, we spoke about this in the green room before pressing play is that you are more into that cash flow and the cultivation of helping others rather than being the master of one particular asset class, right? You can get to have 
your cake and eat it too. You can be in all these different things and benefit just as, but you don't have to be the master, right? And I think that is super important for a lot of people listening to this show because so many people out there want to be the master and they, 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 they drum their head against it. And it's great to be a master of something, but sometimes there's also this, this other side of the coin of being um, spread evenly and diversification, which has a massive role to play in creating that personal lifestyle, which is really what drives you to make those investment decisions, right? Which is all through the base of creating a lifestyle by design. You got it. Exactly. Yep. You know, speaking of lifestyle, um, you know, I mentioned earlier this, so, so, so when we talk about intentionality and whatnot, uh, one thing that I've, I've created over the years is what I call lifestyle design. And it's just a simple spreadsheet that I started working on maybe 10 years ago. And I spent a few hours on a Sunday and I sat down and okay, if I'm going to be out knocking doors, literally, the hardest way to make make money, right? Um, one of the hardest ways is like, you know, why am I doing this? And like, you know, how am I going to make this really matter in the future? And so I sat down and I just got really, really clear on, you know, like the 10 different um, sections of life that I feel are important. And so I made a spreadsheet and I created 10 tabs. And the first one is, you know, the, the, the end goal. So it's my purpose statement for my life. The next one is my health, uh, my family, my time, business, money, spiritual, uh, memories, experiences, and relationships. To me, if I look at the end of my life, when I'm, you know, on my deathbed, looking back at Dave Allred's life and legacy, I want to be good at all those, all 10 areas. You know, I think a lot of people are really, really good at making money or really, really good at their personal health, but they neglect other parts of, you know, of life. They're really important. And ultimately I, I want to have no regrets, man. I, and I can really say right now, in my life, I have no regrets. I have lessons learned for sure, but I have no regrets. And I want to make sure at the end of the day, you know, in my life, I can look back and say I have no regrets in my life as well. And so uh, this lifestyle design is just a, again, it's a pretty simple process, but it's, it takes a lot of time and intentionality. So, you know, every, every Sunday I'll carve off an hour consistently. I'll go back to lifestyle design and I'll import ideas. And, you know, if, if I heard a podcast that resonated or I went to a conference or read a book, or I had friends share a best practice and I love it. I'll add that all into my lifestyle design. And uh, I think there's real power that comes from writing down our goals. And, you know, there's even some, there's some, some, some data points that say that you're 42% more likely to hit a goal simply by writing down that goal. What I've found is that, you know, this is a life, this is a lifetime process for me with lifestyle design. When I have it in writing, I can go back and I can actually see those incremental improvements that I'm making in my life. And that's really motivating for me. It also holds me accountable to what I was saying, you know, last year, 10 years ago, because ultimately a goal that's not written down is just a dream. It's just an idea. And so, uh, and I'm actually happy to share this lifestyle design template with any of your listeners. They want to send me a, you know, send me an email or a, a DM on Instagram. Instagram is probably the easiest way to get hold of me. It's just Dave Allred. I'm happy to share that. It's a, it's not a product. I'm not trying to sell it. It's just something I've shared recently with a few friends and family and, I've gotten really good feedback on, on that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm all about creating value. It's just fun. It's good. You know, awesome. It's karma in life to create value wherever you can. I, I want to you know, give you a lot of kudos. I talk a lot on this show about being balanced, being balanced across so many aspects of life. And, and I call it pillars, right? You know, a table is a table is not stable unless it has four legs, right? And so many people focus on money and real estate and wealth building, but they forget health. They forget, you know, family, being a good person. You talk about spirituality. And I think when people hit rock bottom, I see, and I interview a lot of people that do hit rock bottom, 
but you know, because they don't have those other pillars in their life, they haven't worked on that. And I think you, what I'm hearing from you is that you're really intentional about making sure you are fulfilled across all aspects of life because you are defined not by the wealth you create or the cash flow you create, but you're defined by the human being you want to be. And I think that's super, super important. Um, so more just a kudos to you. Can I ask a question? Was there any life changing event that made you think like that? Because so many people being young entrepreneurs, but it's like, oh, I want to just get to that, you know, uh, quit my day job and get to you know million dollars of whatever it might be. Was there any life event that really triggered you to say I need to be more you know, broad minded in terms of all the different pillars? Um, you know, I'd say to begin with, it was mainly just that we grew up really, really poor, and I have four amazing kids, and uh, I want you know, any parent can understand. This, I want the very best for them. I want my kids to have the doors of opportunity opened up for them and then have this amazing quality life and amazing honeymoon. And, you know, just all these things like very, I, I would, you know, I'm big on like envisioning what you really want later on in your mm-hmm. life and like getting crystal clear on it. But like where you can envision it, you can see, you can smell, like it's gotta be like really tangible. And that's where, you know, that's where the secret happens, like where the magic happens is when you get so clear on what you really want. Um, but where did that come from? I would say it was a mix of, you know, how we were, you know, kind of our upbringing, but also, knocking, you know, this really, really challenging, hard work, this job that I, that, that I had and having children. And, but that, so to begin with, it was just that it was, but then, you know, I, about three years ago, my, my mom um, passed away completely unexpectedly at age 59. Um, you know, she had a, a slip and fall at nighttime and, you know, we, um, we found her, uh, you know, uh, almost two days later, um, and uh, that, that really rocked my world, man. Like I, I didn't know that was out of left field, you know. <clears throat> and and so <clears throat> and when that happened for me, that that was something that you know went from instead of being very kind of a, in my mind like a logical lifestyle design, like what do I want, you know, like financially and everything else, to a little more down to my heart. Like okay, what what do I really what what's really going to create happiness and meaningfulness and purpose and and legacy for me with my family, my kids, and my grandkids and and so it went from being very much more um, technical to a bit more of a, a little bit deeper, you know, and more about purpose and meaning. Um, and so, yeah, so that's my answer. I, I would say this lifestyle design is definitely a lifelong, you know, it's not one thing that you write one time, like, a, you know, it's, it's a living document that's continually evolving as we evolve as, as humans. So, right. but, but, but I'm happy to share that again. You know, for me, that's been a really fun process. To, and what I think that does is, is, is it, it, by having a lifestyle design and having clarity there, you know, I always say, you know, most people spend more time per year planning out their, um, their annual vacation than they do planning out their life, mm. and which is crazy to me, right? And so, you know, I think it's really important that we just take a step back and figure out where we want to go. You know, we fight every day to, to, to make progress, but sometimes that progress isn't towards the end goal that is really going to give us meaning in life. And so anyway, yeah, happy to share that, uh, you know, inside that lifestyle design, a big part of that was the financial freedom. You know, one of those, those sections was, was finances. And, you know, I think money is really just a tool. It just helps us to, 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 to get where we want to faster. And, uh, if, if you don't mind me speaking on this for a minute, Reeves, I'd love sure. to, to share this, uh, this equation that really helped me a ton in my life. Um, when I was 30 years old, I read some books on financial freedom and whatnot. And I said, okay, I really want true financial freedom for my family. 
And so I sat down for four hours and I figured out what my family's cost of living was. And, uh, you know, and let's, as an example, let's say it's Mm $200,000. And then the next on the spreadsheet, and then the next thing was, okay, so my financial freedom number is $200,000 of passive recurring income. The next line is, well, what is my current passive income? Let's say it's 50 grand from a condo or some dividend stock or whatever. So then that difference is your net difference for financial freedom. And in that situation, it's $150,000. And then the next line on that spreadsheet is, how many years am I, am I willing to invest to make sure I hit this financial freedom number? You know, let's say it's 10 years. Um, so that would mean that you only need to need to increase $15,000 per year of passive income to be able to, to achieve true financial freedom. And so that's it. That may have sounded very, very simple, but for me, honestly, that changed my life like from a financial standpoint. So I, I figured out, okay, I needed this much passive income and I have this many years to do so. And for me, I was three years old and the number was I needed 40 rental properties by age 40 to have true financial freedom. And so I committed to it. And by the way, committing is very different from wanting, right? Everybody wants things. Committing, being committed is a whole different ballgame. So I reverse engineered this whole game plan. Okay, 40 rental properties, how am I gonna do this? What do I need to do? Um, how much capital do I need? Drew out the whole blueprint and committed to it, man. Started working on it, putting time, energy, and resources into it. And I was able to hit that goal when I was 36 years old. And, uh, which is fun, celebrated for, you know, for a day, my wife and I went out to dinner. Um, but the next day I'm like, okay, what's next? You know, one thing you'll see about me is I'm always trying to do, trying to beat yesterday. Uh, you know, my, my goal, a guiding principle in my life is to always do bigger deals than I did yesterday. So, you know, started out doing towns, condos and fourplexes, then 20 plexes, 60 plexes, syndications. Now it's a real estate fund. It's all about progression. It's all about getting that next level. And to me, that's where I'm actually happiest in my life is when I feel like I'm making forward progress. And so the next day after hitting that, you know, 40 rental doors, okay, I want to do a, I want to get an ownership of a thousand rental properties by age 40. I've got some momentum. I've got some confidence. I know, you know, kind of know what I'm doing. So reverse engineered it all, drew it all out, committed to it, put some time, energy, and resources into it. And uh, I was able to hit that goal um, when I turned 40 uh, uh, in December of last year. And uh, yeah, man, now it's, uh, I won't tell you guys my next goal because <laughs> I wait until I actually hit it. But uh, you know, that's, that's just kind of the fun thing in life, man. It's just like pushing yourself that next level and always trying to find the best version of yourself. No, I, I look, I appreciate you being super vulnerable with us. Uh, I want to just reflect that uh, my mom also passed away about three years ago and it was similar. I actually did an episode on this podcast of priorities versus goals and, and, and very similar to what you're doing, reorientating your life around it's not just the chasing of the money. It's got to be more because you've got to enjoy it because you could be dead tomorrow. Right. And then it is it, blunt as that is, that is the truth. And it's through loss like that, which you've experienced, I've experienced and a lot of people probably listening to this show. It just helps. It's the world reminding you that you, 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 you have to be present. You have to be present with your family. You have to be, you got to keep, you got to keep healthy. Otherwise you're not going to be there for your kids. Um, if you don't enjoy the journey, it's always going to be something new, something better, something next, and you're never going to feel fulfilled. And I think that's so important for all of us as, as we chase this journey on entrepreneurship and financial freedom that we have to remind ourselves constantly. And I think your tool helps people 
systemize that a little bit better and take the time every, you know, once a week or once a month to write down those goals, what is truly important, not what you think is truly important because you'll find when you sit with it for a little bit of time, you'll go deeper and you'll think, well, I don't, it's not the 40 houses, it's the result of having those 40 houses. What does that mean for my time and my family? Well, it means I can go spend more time with them. I can go and take them on a trip that I never had as a kid growing up. So I think that's super important. I'd love you to share that tool with, with the listeners. Where, where would they go or who would they reach out to you if they wanted to get their hands on it? Uh, probably just send me a, a DM on Instagram. Yeah, uh, on Instagram. That's, okay. where, that's where I'm, I'm most active. Got it. Awesome stuff. Or, or my email, it's just Dave at axiopartners.com or LinkedIn, either one of those, those venues. Um, but I just want to say one thing on that real quick. When we talk about purpose and meaning, I, I really do believe that, you know, money naturally comes more easily mm-hmm. to, to where it knows it's going to be well taken care of or well deployed. And so if you have a, and I, I can't prove that scientifically, but you know, if you, if money flows to where it's going to, have a good steward where it's going to be used well. And, and so I think that the more we can add purpose and intentionality to our financial goals, then the easier it is to, to not only the eat, not only the easier it is, but the, the more enjoyable it is in the pursuit of what we want in our lives. And uh, so again, it's about making you know money matter and, and type purpose and intentionality to it. And it's not just because you want to have a sports car or a Lamborghini or a new house or a second vacation home. It's about, it's got to have real meaning to it. You know, it's got to have that purpose to it. And I think that the more we can, but that takes time to sit down and really figure out like what, you know, and, and one thing I realized for me personally was as I've gone deeper and deeper into that question is what really drives me at my core is freedom, right? I, I want a lot of freedom in my life and that's freedom for me, my kids, my wife to be able to be doing what we want to be doing when we want to be doing it, where we want to be doing it. And what that does for us, and frankly, even though I have that now, I've worked, I'm working harder than I ever have in my life. Okay, so it's not so I can have freedom to go, you know, lay on a on a on a hammock on a, you know, on the Bahamas all all day. It's, but it's so much more fun when you're doing what you want to be doing in life because it's your choice and it's you know you're 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 the steering wheel and you're being proactive in what you're doing and really following your you know, your passion and your own personal pursuit of your own best version of yourself. So anyway, that's something I want to share with you real quick. I really do believe that the more clear you can get on why you want money, the easier it is. And when you have an actual blueprint, like a financial freedom, you know, equation, I, I, I just, I just outlined, I found that it's really motivating to go and actually earn more money because you know exactly how that money is going to be deployed to be able to fast track your own personal goals in your mm-hmm. life. And I don't want to get too woo woo on that, but it's because you're comfortable within your own skin that you resonate uh, a different type of vibration, and, and I don't want to get but you're, you, to the attraction part. When when someone looks at you and says, "Dave, I know you're comfortable in your own skin. I know you're comfortable where you're at with your abilities. I want to invest with you." It's because you've gone through that that journey to get to that point of being okay in your own skin. I think so many people don't, particularly when they get into this business, they're just, it, they 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 think hustle equates to you know, getting that experience and then that experience equates to, well, then people will trust me. And there's some truth to that, but I also think there comes a, a mindset shift when you understand the attraction of, 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 of being of money, of, of opportunities when you're more comfortable in your own self, right? It starts with your own self and then going out and resonate with others. So just wanted to touch on that. Um, 
I would quickly want to jump before we get into top five investing tips is you're, you've got a fund right now and you just closed the fund. Congratulations. But I want to talk just briefly the differences. One, why did you start the fund? And two, what's the differences you've really found between the syndications and the fund model and, and what's better in your mind? Or what do you, what do you think is best for your investors? Yeah. So we launched the Axia Partners Real Estate Fund about uh, four months ago. And it's been, it's been amazing. I've been really, really grateful and really happy with the progress we've made. We finished our capital raise in about three months and we're actually oversubscribed on that. Uh, it's a small, it's a relatively small real estate fund. You know, it's our first uh, time doing a fund structure. Uh, so the $20 million equity fund, uh, we'll be able to acquire about $65, $70 million of asset under management. We take a value add approach to those. We'll actually be able to churn that, you know, in a two to three year period redeploy that. So it's closer to, you know, a hundred to $150 million of assets under management throughout the fund's life of five years. But the whole focus is recession resilient passive income. And so, you know, we mitigate risk by going into states with a positive net migration. Um, so we have a top 10 states, you know, based on U-Haul, you know, actually the U-Haul data of where the U-Hauls, you know, are, are going, you know, back and forth and, and a bunch of other data points. And so we're going into those specific markets. Uh, the word axia is Greek for value add. So we're all about adding value. And it's not just the traditional, you know, new paint, granite countertops, new lights and flooring. It's that, but it's also going in and actually, it's more of a modern approach to value add. So it's search and optimization, it's social media. It's crazy how a lot of these assets don't, you know, we don't really leverage social media very well. And nowadays, especially millennials and, and younger people, they go to social media to do business, believe it or not. And so, you know, it's that. It's also just branding, overall repositioning, the signage, really making the, uh, the, the you know, the, the, the look and the feel of the asset look a lot more modern and, and uh, more appealing. So, um, but anyway, that's the overall approach. We invest into multifamily mainly, also RV parks, which are a huge cash cow, and not mobile home parks, actual RV parks. And... That's probably another podcast for another day as to the <laughs> differences there and why we're focusing on RV parks. We're really, really excited about that as well as some of the assets we have under, under contract right now. And then we also do self-storage, which is the most recession resilient asset of any type of real estate, at least based on the last two corrections or recessions that we've gone through. And so that's our overall approach. Um, as for why I decided to go into the fund model, you know, I've done over a dozen syndications and frankly, I love the syndication model. Uh, it's been amazing to you know, be able to create value for other people to come in and do bigger deals with them. I think it's a great way to be able to help scale uh, your portfolio. Um, but uh, the reason why I went into the fund model is one, uh, it allows a much greater diversification, right? So and a syndication is usually just one asset, it's one address. Whereas on a fund, you know, we're gonna be in three different asset types in six different states across the country. And so our investors are diversified with equity in every one of those assets. Uh, so literally probably you know, 18 different assets across the country. Um, the second big benefit is that we're fully capitalized, right? So usually on a syndication, you find the deal and then you go and you raise the capital. Uh, especially in today's competitive market, it's great to be able to go into a, a bidding war, you know, on a, say a multifamily asset, and say, hey, we already have all the capital. We can even close on it all cash and then refinance if we needed to. And so we've actually had some, a lot of success with that um, just by being fully capitalized up front. 
And then the other big benefit for me is on syndications, I'm usually only working with, you know, five to 40 partners uh, with a fund structure allows us to really create value for a lot more people, you know, a few hundred uh, partners. And then the last thing I probably, you know, I could list 10 things, but maybe the last one that's very significant is the fact that we have accelerated compounded returns. And so on our fund, we pay a 7% pref rate along the way, you know, no more, no less. And, but anything above that is redeployed onto, you know, more assets, more real estate, more RV parks, self-storage, multifamily. And so we're able to reinvest and really compound those returns. And you mix that with the value add approach. And it's a pretty incredible, you know, we're really, really happy with our investment thesis. And we feel like it's well-timed with the market where we're, you know, 12 years or so into a phenomenal housing market in this country. And frankly, it's not a matter of if there's a recession, but when there's a correction or recession. And so, you know, Warren Buffett says rule number one is don't is don't lose your money. Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. And so it's really taking that approach, but still trying to find asymmetrical returns where the risk profile, you know, the risk to the capital loss is low, but we can still create strong yield or margin for our, our capital partners. And so that's that's the main reasons why we've decided to go on the fund structure. And you know, again, this is fund number one. Uh, we, you know, assuming this is our we, we get we hit our returns and as a flagship fund, we'll be launching a future funds, you know, fund two probably next year and continue to grow the business from there. Oh, one last thing that I loved about the, uh, the, the fund structure, I've always been somewhat of a solopreneur, you know, all the syndications that I've done have just been me leading the charge and in a fund structure. Now I now have, you know, five GPs and three, a fund manager, deputy fund manager and a financial manager. So now we have eight people that are all helping out. And so it's nice to have that collaboration, that synergy, you know, that those, is there any blind spots we might be operating with? It's just, it's just nice to have that collaboration. And frankly, it's really fun to be able to have like-minded people on the same mission with you. And so I've been really grateful. And I, lo- I love the team that we have right now. Awesome. Like the congratulations, and then twenty million dollars is no, is no, nothing to uh, you know not, not a, better than poking the eyes, but more successful than other people who've gone out and started raising a fund from day one. So, so kudos to you, um, mate. At the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? So, mate, what is the number one habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Number one habit to stay on my goals. Um. So I'm going to give you two. Uh, one is every Sunday I sit down and I spend one hour doing what I call a Sunday power hour. And it's looking at my upcoming week and looking at everything that I've got to get done. But then also comparing it to my, not what's urgent, but what's important in my life. Right. And there's a big distinction between what's important and what's urgent. And usually people, they just, they do what's urgent. A lot of times we do things that are really urgent, put out fires it's just creating more of those down the road. And I found that if you really focus on what's important, you actually put out a lot of those fires proactively. Anyway, so, so it's just spending the time to block out the time for the upcoming week to make sure that I am spending time with my kids. You know, that, that Friday nights, date night with my wife, that, you know, Sunday's ice cream Sunday with the kids, that Tuesday is my date night with each one of my four kids, each, each, you know, each kid one week each month. And I love my favorite time. You know, every night from 8 to 9 p.m., that one hour is blocked off for my kids. And frankly, I don't get a lot of time with my kids as much as I'd like to, but I've learned that it's quantity, it's quality over quantity when it comes mm. to that time. You know, so just certain things are really important to me. And I'm working out in the morning, my physical health. So that's a non-negotiable. Um, so anyway, so Sunday, power hour. And then every Monday, I'm sorry, every weekday, 
Um, I have a, a two-hour routine called my win the morning routine, and it's from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., and, you know, it's waking up, it's working out for five minutes, my home gym, it's, you know, it's a cold shower, intermittent fasting, uh, you know, reading for 20 minutes, you know, gratitude list, you know, planning for the day, a few other things as well. So anyway, just those two routines really help me to stay on track and make sure I'm prioritizing my time. Love it. Love it, mate. Uh, question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Well, oh man, a lot comes to mind there. Uh, from a business perspective, Todd Peterson, the CEO of Vivint Smart Home, uh, he's been, you know, really helped me to increase my, my, my perspective on potential and what I can do in my business career. Uh, on a personal level, I'd say it's my wife. Um, she's been in my corner and so supportive to be able to help you know, with our kids and taking care of everything on the home front so that I can be able to go out and do what I do on the business front, you know, without her support, um, there's no way I'd be able to, you know, do the things that we're doing right now. Um, yeah. There, there cool. you go. Uh, question number three is what is the most influential tool in your business? When I say tool, it could be a piece of software or it could be a piece of hardware like your phone or a diary. What is the most influential thing that helps run your business day in, day out? I think we might've already spoken about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Instagram. Uh, to me, that's, I mean, I probably send more, te- more DMs and even text messages. You know, people want to give me a business card and I just look at my, like, here's my DM. I mean, Frank, think about it. A, a, a business card versus a, your D, your Instagram profile. It says so much more about you, what you mm-hmm. stand for, who you are, your family, your life, you know, your businesses. So Instagram. Awesome. Question number four in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? what did you learn from that failure? Thinking small. Um, when I when I was twenty, I was proud of what I was doing. Uh, when I was when I, when I turned thirty, I looked back at twenty. I'm like, man, I was playing so small. When I was thirty, I was so proud of what I was doing. You know, running these 121 teams across the country for Vivint. But then I look back at it as a 40 year old. I'm like, man, I was playing small. I could have been doing so much more. And I hope that when I'm 50, I look back at Dave already today at 40 and say, man, I could have done so much more if I would have just thought bigger. And so I think our biggest limitations are our limiting belief systems that we all have. And so that's my biggest regret. Awesome. Question number five is the last question is where do people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Uh, yeah, we covered that a little bit already. So Instagram, Dave already, uh, if you, an email would be Dave at axiopartners.com, uh, LinkedIn, Dave already, Facebook, Dave already. Um, should be pretty easy to find just Dave or anywhere. <laughs> awesome stuff, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I just wrote a bunch of notes here. Some of the big takeaways I took away from today's show, I think is your ability to be balanced across so many aspects in your life. And I think that's super important that drives the needle back into making sure your business is successful, right? You need to be successful in other aspects of your life in order for your business to be successful. You're not just focused 100% of your business and your family's you know, not doing well or your health not doing well. I think that's super important to so many people listening to the show. Um, the other thing I will also, you know, is how self-aware you are. And I think that comes back to the being, being very um, spread evenly across all your pillars in your life and then creating your, your, your little worksheet that, that helps you uh, you know, um, helps you write down exactly all the things you want to do and achieve in the different pillars or in the different stages of your life so you can be successful. So super grateful for you for sharing those things with me. And, and, and the last thing I'll say is that I love that you have no regrets because I think everyone is like that in life. Um, but, but did I leave anything out? You nailed it, man. That was awesome. awesome. I appreciate having me on the show. I've been looking forward to this. Mate, well, look, as I said, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to jump on this show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks, Reed.
We're going to have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from David Allred. Remember, if you want to check out where he is at, get onto Instagram, David Allred, or on LinkedIn. He is very active on both those platforms. Uh, I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to jump onto iTunes and give us a five-star review. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, go give life a crack.